Guys, we're in a series called Church Victorious. And the whole idea behind it is that, surprise, the church is victorious. We're not just called to be it one day. No, we are victorious right now by faith, even if we don't always feel like it. Jesus has given you and I and the church the ultimate victory. But that doesn't always, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Sometimes, you, you know, you've got difficult things going on. You, you, you've got, um, you got challenging situations and circumstances, and we don't walk away, even sometimes from church. We don't even walk away sometimes on Sunday morning having had worship. By the time we get to lunch, our face can be downcast, and our emotions and the situations and circumstances of the world are already knocking down our doors. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're in middle school or high school, a college student, grandparent, all of these things are taking place. Amy just broke my heart this past week when she, you know, she's on a text thread with some friends and an 11-year-old girl committed suicide. I won't go into any of the details of it for the sake of privacy, but understand, even at such a young age, the weight of the world, it's just, it can feel crushing. And one of the reasons we started this church is because Jesus gives us hope, and he gives us life. And my prayer and my continued prayer for you and for our church is much like Ephesians that Paul writes that we would know the depth and breadth and height and the, and the, and the width and all the other measurements of God's love for us. And we would know it so well and so deeply and so true that it would change our lives forever. We're in a series called Church Victorious and you know, when, when you think of the word victorious and victor, I mean, nothing comes to mind faster to me right now than world, the World Cup. And I know some of you are super into it. And, I mean, I love to watch. I would love to give some of these guys, like, a top build career in acting. Because if you've ever watched the World Cup and somebody touches an ear or touches your leg, they milk it for all it's worth to try to draw the fire. I mean, it is the most unbelievable display of acting you have ever seen in sports. But to each his own, I suppose. Whoa, whoa. Shots are getting fired from the front row. I'm not even going to repeat that. It was so offensive. Regardless, when we speak of victory, we speak of, of even what was, was mentioned in the transition moment, of a champion, of winning, of being victorious. And so this is where we find ourselves in the, the book of Ephesians. And I want to, to, to draw out this tension for us, because if you're like me, it's one thing to read the scriptures, and I do. I love to read the Bible, but I'll be honest with you, there are plenty of times where I don't. I mean, I get up in the morning and it's like, you know, do I want to play a game on my phone or do I want to read the Bible? I know what I should do, 
But I get drawn into Facebook or Instagram or playing some dopey game on my phone, right? But here's what the Bible teaches us is that in the small things of our flesh, even, the, even when you wake up in the morning and what, you're, what we know to do and how to spend time with God, that we are victorious, we are victors over desires that are not of the Lord. Small, big, big, small. We are victorious, but sometimes I wrestle with really walking in that. Family situations, I don't feel victorious. Been on the phone, you know, praying with my mom as she's trying to sort out different complications health-wise. You know what? It's easy to get trapped into not seeing or feeling victorious. And we begin to ask ourselves questions because what we read in the Word, but yet how we feel are very different things. God, how could you let this happen? How could I be in this place? How come I'm stuck here again? Or for the first time. And so Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's going to take us on a little bit of a, a trail. We're going to get, and we're going to answer this question that many of us get racked with multiple times. A week, a day, a month even. You guys with me this morning? Father, be with us as we open the Bible and we begin to grow and learn and become greater followers of you. Lord, we love you. Speak to us and grow us today. God, open our eyes and our ears and our minds to know you. Amen. Chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul writes about the fact that the church is blessed. And you are, you're blessed. Like beyond compare blessed. Freak you out blessed. Chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we were dead but now we're alive. So you're blessed beyond compare. Yet, in case you, you get a big head, let me remind you that you were also dead in your sin because you had stinking thinking. And God needed to set you free and make you alive on the inside because you were dead, now you're alive. And then we get to chapter 3, and it's we've been watching over the summer. I, I don't know why iTunes has been giving away free, like, cooking episodes on iTunes. And, you know, generally they're pretty clean, and our kids enjoy, like, all these cooking competitions. But there's these, these baking ones with cakes. And so each week I've been using this image. Well, this is why it's been sticking with me, because of all these, like, cake boss-type shows. And they, they have these multi-layered cakes, and almost every episode, one of the cakes falls over. Why? Because the foundation of the cake is built poorly. Right? Well, Paul is laying this foundation, and we are beginning to move to cruising speed by chapter 3. But before we do, I didn't get all the way through Ephesians 2 last week. So I'm just going to set the stage for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17 through 19. Paul, the writer of the new, two-thirds of the New Testament, he's writing this. He's writing it from a prison cell. And he says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. Sounds good. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, 
you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So to paraphrase for you, Paul is writing in chapter 2 of this book, he's writing it to the church that exists in Ephesus, but to be fair, most theologians believe that Paul was writing it knowing that this letter was going to be passed around to all of the churches in Asia. And so he's not specifically correcting some theological jacked up nonsense in a church. He's writing about universal truths that we need to remember and take hold of as Christians and as a church. And here he is in chapter 2, and he's reminding people, hey, those of you who are far away, Jesus has done something about that. You are far away, and Jesus brought you near. He preached peace to you. In other words, he's brought life to you who are far away, and he's brought life to those of you who are near. Now, this has direct implication on you and I sitting in this room right here in 2018. Because what Paul is writing about are Jews and Gentiles. And Jews were those who were considered to be, to be near, to be close. Those who were near to him. They, they, had, they, they were already in expectation of the Messiah showing they were looking. They were waiting. They had the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. But there's another group of people, the Gentiles, who have none of it. And Paul is writing, and he's saying, hey, I've got some amazing news for you. Those of you who are far away, meaning Gentiles, those of you who are not Jewish, Jesus is for you too. And those of you who are waiting for the Messiah, guess what? The Messiah, he's already shown up. His name is Jesus, and he's here for you too. And so those of you who are far away and those of you who are near, Jesus has come for both of you. And the reason we are sitting in this room Having church in 2018 here in Kennesaw, Georgia is because of what Jesus did and what Paul brings light to in the book of Ephesians, letting us know that the gospel is not just for a particular person or people group. It's for everyone. And so Paul writes in Ephesians 3, for this reason, the reason we just stated, that Jesus is for everybody, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. Now, I love my man Paul. But do you have a friend that loves to tell a story and is so excited to tell a story that he interrupts himself and then, like, go on a rabbit trail? Everybody has a friend that you just, you just want them to say, just, just say it. Just spit it out. But they're so excited, and then, you know, they're talking about the party, and they're talking about, you know, this and that, and then, and then where they got the decorations, and then who, who, who was invited. And you, it's just Paul interrupts himself while he's writing. And so what we get are some broken, fragmented thoughts, And it requires a little bit of work on our part to understand everything he's talking about. I'll say it again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, pause, interrupts himself. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. 
He's interrupting himself. He's so excited to talk about what he's getting ready to talk about. And he says something extraordinary. He says, man, God, he's revealed something to me. And I've already written about it briefly to you in, a, in the chapter 2, that Jesus is for everybody. But God has given me this great privilege of bringing revelation. He says that I am an administrator of God's grace. The translation you might have, it might, you might have the word dispense, right? If you've ever been to a birthday party, this ends up being my job, right? If you have cake and ice cream being served to kids, I've got four kids, and I, you know, the last party we had, I was an ice cream guy. Well, guess what I'm doing? I, you know, I'm at the counter with the ice cream scoop, slapping the ice cream on the bowl. Who wants, who wants vanilla? Who wants chocolate? What, what am I doing? I'm dispensing of ice cream. I am the administrator of all things creamy and ice. Praise God, right? This is what God has, has blessed me with in this moment. Well, what Paul is saying is that this grace, nobody knows this yet. You might if you've grown up going to church, but for people reading this, this is mind-blowing, and it is revelatory. And Paul is saying, guys, God has revealed this to me. This is a tremendous revelation. And I have been gifted with the task of dispensing this to the world, to the Gentiles. And he calls it a mystery. Now, I don't know about you, but I love mysteries. I do. I mean, are we not? As a people, do we not enjoy a good mystery? Now, you may not like something scary. You may not like something jumping out and scaring you, but most people love a good mystery or even a puzzle. You know, like the little wood blocks that you've got to, you know, twist everything and sort it out. They drive me crazy, but I can't put it down. Why? It's dry. Oh, I have to figure this out, this great mystery. When I go to the movies, I love, most people love a good movie when they don't see the plot from the first five minutes in developing. Most movies nowadays, you sit in five minutes, and you know exactly what's going to happen. And we get tired and bored of that. And what are the movies that you love going back to? It's the movies where you did not see that coming. Whoa. What an amazing movie. When I was a kid, the, the books that I used to love, my parents used to pay, pay me a dollar for every book that I would read. My mother listens to this podcast every week. Thank you, Mom. Because what happened is that while I started out initially with a passion to break the bank, it taught me something. It taught me a love for reading. And so I began to read, and the books that I would go to every time were the Hardy Boys. The mystery. Frank and Joe Hardy were on the scene. You know, there was a crime, and these two young guys were sorting it out. There was a mystery that needed to be revealed. And so when we read of the mystery of the gospel, understand that this, this should, this should provoke something inside of us, that, that innate thing that God has put inside, I believe, every human that loves a beautiful mystery being revealed and coming together. That is the gospel. 
And it's not just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. It's not just for white people. It's not just for black people or Asian people. It's not just for a people group or an age bracket or a hair color. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone, and this mystery is getting revealed. Holy smokes! I didn't see that coming. Ephesians 3, 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Meaning no one's a second class citizen. Nobody. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how old you are. We are together in one body. Amen. I will say it again, Ephesians 2, 17, that Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, what on earth does this have to do with the tension that Andy mentioned at the beginning of the message regarding God moving in my life and God making me victorious yet not feeling victorious? So Paul is building his multi-layered cake boss cake, okay? He's helping people understand the bigger picture. And then he moves into some conversation here that has great bearing on just the day-to-day living. And if you're like me, most of the time, if, I, if you read Ephesians, you miss it. We're blessed and we're chosen and we're marked with power. We were dead. We've been made alive. We're all a part of the body. And yet this, there's this thing that's happening where Paul is writing from right here. He's writing from a prison cell. That's where he's writing this book from. And when I say a cell, it was actually a house. A house in Rome or in the, in the suburbs of Rome. And he was under what's called house arrest. And he was able to have a servant attend to him. But he, was also, he also had a guard that would have been uh, inside the house with him. There would have been a guard outside the house. And in general, the prisoner that's inside the home would have been chained or shackled to some capacity to a Roman guard at all times. And this is the manner in which Paul is writing the book of Ephesians. And you can only guess that the churches who are reading this book where Paul says, man, we are blessed, are sitting there thinking, how are you blessed? You're in a dang prison. You tracking with me? What's happening in the early churches is they have great concern for Paul. Many of these churches were started by Paul. Paul, the God's right-hand man. Paul, the guy with the unbelievable testimony. Paul, who prays and miracles happen. Blind eyes open. Demonic spirits leave. People who are, who are paralyzed are walking. Healings are taking place. If this guy doesn't have God on his side, who does? And if this guy's thrown in prison, what does that mean for us? And so there's fear 
that's beginning to break out in the early church regarding God's goodness and his faithfulness and who he is as a heavenly father. God's with me this morning. This is the tension. And Paul writes this, and I love it. He's praying for them to have strength. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It's Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm only in verse 1. I want you to hear the words that Paul wrote here and hear it. As somebody who's afraid, as somebody who's nervous, as somebody who's struggling to appropriate God's and Jesus' victory on the cross in your life, Paul writes, sitting in a house, shackled to a Roman guard, and he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Nowhere in the equation does Paul say that he is a prisoner of Rome. Nowhere in this equation does Paul write that he is a prisoner of the Roman Empire or that he's a prisoner of a guard or prisoner to a city or prisoner to a government. None of that because there's only one person that Paul is beholden to and that is God Almighty. And if I'm a prisoner, I'm a prisoner to one person, the one who has all the power, who has all the strength, and who has all the authority. And his name is God Almighty. Son named Jesus Christ, that is who I am a prisoner to. All these other things, psh, they got nothing. They got nothing on who my God is. They got nothing on who my Jesus is. Nobody could shackle me if Jesus hadn't allowed this moment to happen. Whoa. Because Jesus Christ has given me and you the victory. And so Paul writes as a prisoner of Jesus. James 1 says this. It's a verse that everyone loves but doesn't actually love. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something inside of you. That something inside of you is called perseverance. And so here is Paul in a prison. And he's letting them know, I am a prisoner to no one but Jesus Christ. By the way, in case you forgot, I'm blessed. We're chosen. I'm marked with the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has given me a gift. And on behalf of this gift and the people that God has called me to, I am in prison. Meaning, he is all of these things, yet his circumstances would say everything the opposite of what he's describing. Here's a guy who's describing he's blessed, but he's on his way to dying. Here's a guy who says he's free, yet he's shackled to a guard. Everything that your eyes would tell you is your prison. Paul is reminding us, no, you're not. If you belong to Jesus, then you are free, and you are free in Indeed. But think of the things that we do. Think of the prisons that we get locked in. 
places that we get stuck. Paul gives me hope because he reminds me that these are not my prisons unless I am the one who locks the door and throws away the key. Relationship prisons. Oh my. The prison of relationships where we're in agony over an offense, strained over somebody you like, don't like. Am I going to get married? Am I not going to get married? I'm not saying it's not an important conversation. I'm not saying it isn't something to be praying to God about or trusting him about. But what happens over and over and over again is we get locked. Key turn, throw it away. And I'm stuck in the prison. I can't move. I'm stuck here. No, you're not. That's not your prison. You are a prisoner to no one and no thing except Jesus Christ, the one true king. What else? There's, there's, there's a pain prison. I've been in this prison many times where I've experienced something that was hard and it hurt, and I begin to doubt where God is. God, where are you? Do you even care? God, you say you're good. Why is this happening? Why did that happen? It's emotional. It hurts and it's hard. And sometimes our pain, it can be a prison for us that we just are not able to get out of and we can grow distrustful and resentful and bitter. I've grown and have gone to grow out of all of those things. Because they can be a prison for us. And I'm going to answer some things here in just a moment. In case you're wondering, well, I, I would like an answer for that. Where is God? There's a purpose prison. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. This is a large one right now. You're graduating from college. Embarking on a new season of life. And everything has changed. Everything you know to be true becomes different. And you're wondering, this, this is it? I'm grinding and I'm working and I, you know, I'm making money or I'm trying to find a job, but I'm looking for something more. And all of a sudden, the purposes of God that are to be alive in your life but oftentimes are far more simple than we give them credit for, all of a sudden we become paralyzed because we need God to show up and show us this grandiose thing that we're supposed to be doing and give our life to when the thing that we give our life to is simply loving Jesus with all of our heart, our mind, interaction, wherever you are. And you love the people around you. You need a purpose? That is your greatest purpose. There's financial prisons. There's image prisons. There's the why hasn't this happened prison. Why is it that everyone is seeming to be getting blessed with the things I'm praying for, except me? I hate that prison. It's a strong word, but I do, right? Why is, why is that happening for them, but not for me? The comparison trap. Oh, no. I don't have time to preach all that. I'm not where I thought I'd be, prison. Prison of loneliness. You get the idea. 
I've shared over the past couple of weeks some frustrations that have happened for, for, for me, for Amy and I and our family. We had, a, you know, a, a water main busted, and water is flooding into our basement, poked holes through the, you know, cinder block. Some of you, I, we were texting and calling. <laughs> I mean, it was stressful at the time. In the grand scheme of things, what is it? No. But it's annoying and it's frustrating, right? Then the air conditioning goes out upstairs. 85 degrees. All of the children have been brought downstairs. If you've ever tried to sleep in a living room with four kids through the night, it isn't fun. Nothing about it is fun. There's a pack and play set up, and every child can see you and just starts talking at whatever time they want to. You know, there's coughing, there's runny noses, and you think to yourself, God, I, I'm not going to make it. Okay? Air conditioning goes out in the car. Same day as air conditioning in the house. All right, Lord. Now, we're going to duke here. I'm getting mad. Right? <laughs> not joking. This all really happened. Now, hear me. I'm making light of some things. The reality is there are things that happen to us that have far greater significance and, and create far more questions and soul hurts than just not having money for an air conditioning fix. At the end of the day, is that really that big of a deal? No. It's more annoying and pesky than it is anything. And we prayed and literally we had people lay hands on me and pray because we felt like this was... This, the enemy was just doing what he does best. What does he do? He comes to rob, to steal, to kill, to destroy. He is pesky. He's obnoxious. He's a little punk. And so we prayed, and we actually, the air conditioning came back on. This is truly happened. And the air conditioning came on in my car. Same moment. Blowing cold air. Then it went out again. But it got us through the night. <laughs> like, God prevailed, okay? Glory. All right? I kid you not. But hear this, because I'm going to bring this around for you. Proverbs 19, 21 says that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Meaning that you have a plan, but God has a purpose. And that there are so many times in our life where things look like you're in a prison, where it looks like the situation is dire, it's impossible. And in many ways, sometimes it is. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose that he is bringing forth through you on the earth. And that's why Paul can say, consider it pure joy. When you face trials and tribulations of many kinds, it teaches you perseverance. But there are other things that it teaches you. Paul is in a house under arrest, but he understands that by being arrested, the gospel goes forth and more people are hearing about his suffering on behalf of Christ. And because that's true, he rejoices because more people in the midst of his difficulty and pain are hearing about who Jesus is. And there are times in our life where we begrudge our pain, and I get it. I'm not saying that we should love it or look forward to it or say, come on, God, bring as much pain as you got. But there are so many times 
where God has brought something or he's bringing you through something. And while his plan for you and purpose for you isn't to just unnecessarily create pain for you, he uses these moments as opportunities to share the gospel with the world. And so we had all these repairmen coming into our house. Structural engineers looking at the basement. Air conditioning guys upstairs in my attic. And I'm going to tell you, I don't always, I'm a pastor, but I don't always want to do this. But I hear the Holy Spirit saying, well, are you going to talk to this guy? He's in your home. Why don't you offer him something to drink? Why don't, you, why don't you offer him a seat right now? Have him pull up a chair. Talk to him about his life. I just want him to fix my air conditioning, God. That's all I want. I want to deal with this right now. That's fine. We don't have to. But if you want, we get to. What do you want to do? You're not a prisoner here. But I've brought this situation that these people might be able to hear. Maybe they need prayer. Maybe they need somebody that's a Christian to smile, smile a lot, and show the kindness of God in a world right now where many people don't see it. What are you going to do in this moment, Andy? Are you going to be a prisoner to your air conditioning, or are you going to be a prisoner to me? Who do you want to serve right now? So the guy pulls up a stool, I'll give him a thing of water. He says, so what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. Really? Can I tell you my story about Jesus? Changing my life? Yeah. I haven't told anybody in a while, and I'd love to tell you. Okay. Shares a story about how he came to faith at the age of 17 because God healed him powerfully from stage four, liver cancer or kidney cancer, I can't remember which, but he had four weeks left to live. He was at his girlfriend's house as a 17-year-old with a track meet that weekend. Something happens, he falls over, he has to go to the hospital. Girlfriend calls her, her dad who's in construction the next day and says, would you come and pray? for my boyfriend in the hospital. And she, okay. Gets two of his buddies. They get in the car. Have you ever gone to pray for somebody at a hospital? No. Me either. I've heard you annoy people with oil. Does anybody have any oil? No. I guess we'll stop by the grocery store. This is all happening in my kitchen. Gets the oil. They get to the, the hospital. He's laid out with more wires and plugs and things in his body. And he says that they literally took an entire, an entire container of canola oil and doused him with it. The entire thing. They didn't know what they were doing. Like extra anointing right there. He said they prayed the quickest shortest prayer I just laid hands on him and the nurses came in and were furious because he's soaked in oil they got to bring out a new bed 
Okay, he's got to get showered. If you've got somebody with four weeks left to live, this is not a small deal. But they didn't know anything different. And so they prayed. They get up. They go back to work. The following morning, he gets out of bed as a 17-year-old and walks out. The gown on, the wires flowing behind him. He walks out into the hallway and says, man, am I going to get any food today? And they're like, well, no one should be hungry that's on the medicine that you have or that's in the situation that you're in. This is highly unusual. Please go lay back down. And he said, well, I'm going to tell you something. I, I actually feel pretty good. They're not having it. So he goes and he lays back down. They call the doctor. They run more tests. And the floor starts buzzing. And now the head doctors are coming down. And there are people who are angry. Who swapped these reports? Who's changing this? Who messed this up? And the head doctor on the floor says, no, nobody did. I did this. This guy came in here two days ago. And these are the lesions of cancer on his body. And this is what he looks like today. Completely healed. And he's telling me this in, his, in my kitchen. Drinking sweet tea. And he just needed to get it out. He needed to share what Jesus had done. He said he... Gave his life to Jesus four days later. Married the girl that was his 17-year-old sweetheart. Smartest decision he ever made. And it's talking about how God has the, the healing power of God and how it forever changed his life. And these three guys who didn't know what they were doing, who spent 30 minutes with him in the hospital room, and they describe it to this day as an obnoxious inconvenience for them. And yet God used it to create the greatest moment of his life. And I'm sitting here, I'm talking with you today and this morning because so many of us have these moments, situations, difficulties, things that can be agonizing, the loss of a loved one. And I don't rejoice in the pain itself, but I look and I rejoice in the opportunities for the gospel to go forth and for Jesus to be proclaimed and for his healing, for his power, for his anointing, for, the, for, the, for, the, for people to lift their eyes. That every nation, every tribe, and every tongue proclaim the name of Jesus. See, Paul reminds us of something here because the churches are worried and he's telling them this happened so that this could happen. I'm not struggling at all. I'm no prisoner. Jesus is my king and this is what I get to do. It reminds us that God can always turn your mess into a message. He can turn your test into a testimony. 
He can take your trial and make it a triumph, and he can take those who are victims and make them victors. I've had so many messes that I've left a mess. And looking back, I can see what God was after now. And that mess can become a message. And that trial can become a triumph because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus has done in my life. See, we, we tend to judge God's love for us, don't we, based on the circumstances of our life, the situations that we're in. And that's not how God's love for us works, which is why Paul reminds all of these churches in verse 17, chapter 3. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God you see most of the time we judge God's love for us based on on the tide of the day and Paul is saying I beseech you look at my life I am prisoner to no one here's where I am and the gospel is going forth, would you join me in understanding how amazing and rich and deep and wide and long and wide is God's love for you? Don't miss it. Don't miss it in the situation. Don't miss it in the circumstance that's brought you pain or frustration. God's love for you is beyond compare. It'll blow your mind. And so our takeaway in Church Victorious in Ephesians chapter 3 is the next time you find yourself in a situation of difficulty, of despair, of frustration, my invitation to you is to take one step back. Be reminded that you are no prisoner here. And lift your eyes to see if there isn't an opportunity that God is bringing you in the midst of this pain and in the midst of this challenge to be able to declare the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Where you might be able to declare that in the midst of my suffering, God is good. And he is great. And now we'll praise him and worship him. Some of you need to do that right now. Some of you are in that spot right this minute. We're going to pray. And I'm asking for God to give a shift in your heart. Because he does that. Some of you have lost loved ones and it's been, it's felt like a prison. Some of you have been under such financial weight and it's just, it's felt like you're locked up. Some of you have been 
just harassed by relational challenge or problems or this or that. And he just felt shackled. My prayer today is that you wouldn't lose sight of how amazing God's love for you is, even in the midst of your situation. And that your eyes would be lifted up and that you would look for the opportunity to share how good and great Jesus is, even in the middle of your challenge. Father, right here, right now, in the midst of, of what can be anxious times for us, what can be painful times for us, frustrating times, fearful times, we choose not to lose heart today, Lord. God, whether we're a teenager, whether we're in middle school, elementary school, high school, whether we're in college, God, whether we're graduated and, and looking for a job, whether Lord, we're a family, whether we're a grandparent, God, whatever place and posture we're in in our life, God, we don't ever grow out of experiencing moments where we wonder where you are and we wonder where the hope is and the love is. And God, I thank you that you call those who are far and those who are near to know you and to be forever changed by you. That is how amazing your love is. Jesus, you and your love is for everyone in this morning, God. I pray specifically for this church and this body. Lord, that we would hold on to the hope of who you are. God, help us to lift our, lift our eyes. God, that we might say, whoever does our help come from? Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. That we might experience your love and know your love in such a transformative, powerful way. God, I pray that we would come to a place where we are, like Paul says and James says, able to rejoice in our trial, able to rejoice in our tribulation. God, we rejoice in these moments that the gospel may be advanced, that the name of Jesus might be declared. Lord, that, that your kingdom might be sought first and expand. Lord, that is our prayer today. We thank you that we are victorious because of you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I feel like there's, there's a lot of ministry happening right now. It can get a little warm up here. If God's moving in your heart and and you need prayer, God, God moves. Whether it's a 17-year-old, I didn't even tell you, he got to run in his track meet. <laughs> Given four weeks left to live, <laughs> and, then, and just a couple days later, is running in his track meet. Sorry, I'll save that for another day. Here's what I want to encourage you, though, today, is that if you need prayer, there's power in prayer. Because we serve a God that's powerful. 
So if you need prayer for anything, do not hesitate. You can obviously ask the person next to you to pray right where you're sitting. You can pray on the hallway. Or you can come right down here after service. And somebody will be, be here, one of our leadership team will be here to pray with you for anything that you might have. Amen.